Welcome to another edition of Jumping Around, a steeplechase podcast from thisishorseracing.com. I'm Joe Clancy, and today's guest is Neil Morris. The Virginia-based trainer sends horses all over the region to compete in flat and jump races. He's won a dozen races this year from just 46 starts and is, as far as I know, the only trainer on the planet to win races at four and a half furlongs and four miles this year. Uh, over jumps, he's trained the likes of Sir Latette, Timber Standouts Miles Ahead, Lord Kenneth, and 2018 star Zanklus. And when we recorded this podcast, he'd won races with his three most recent starters, Mutasawi at Fairhill Over Hurdles and Great Plan and Copa Bella on the flat at Mountaineer Park. So it's a pretty diverse resume. Welcome to the show, Neil, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invite, Joe. Well, we'll st- stick to the most recent stuff. Obviously, you've had a great start to your season. you got to be happy with that. And, you know, did you think it would start like that when you started out? With the jump season? Yeah, and the flat horses. I mean, all the horses are running really well. Right, right. So we were excited this, this winter, as most trainers are in January and February, about their big horses to be, their unproven dreams. And usually as, as the season evolves, dreams are realized pretty early on. But our horses have, have seemed to have gone on and have been winning races. Through the jump season, we won, we won a few races. Horses were running well. And now the grass tracks are open. We're kind of going up and down the, the East Coast with some all, all, all levels of, of um, flat horses. I'm trying to find spots for them to be successful. And, and most, the majority of them are grass. I mean, I would say 95% of them. And, and um, I have tried to diversify with that. And a bloodstock agent, good friend of mine, told me to stick what I, with what I do well and stop trying to be creative and having dirt horses in the winter. So I bagged that and stuck with the grass horses and seems, you know, it seems to be coming to fruition. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's kind of what you, like you said, it's what you're, what you're good at. And if you change it too much, maybe it's not quite going to be as successful, I guess. Right. I was just inclined to feel like I wanted to have some all round racing action. We stay here in Virginia all winter long. So we could, we could hit the, the, West Virginia tracks, we could hit the Maryland tracks, the Pennsylvania tracks with dirt horses if we had them. But it really didn't it didn't work out for us. I, mean, I don't know why, just so. Oh, it's the horse business. It'll change. Give it time. Yeah. Never <laughs> seems, seems to go in full circles. Exactly. And uh, so we're going to work backward a little bit now. Uh, obviously, there's an English accent, so you're not from America. Uh, did you grow up in the horse game? How did you, how did you get into it? Correct. So uh, I grew up with ponies. None of my family were involved with, um, with with horses at all, but I, I went to a, a local riding school, rode some ponies, and then did some jumper ponies um, until I was about, really, I was about 11, 12, 13, and um, I got picked up by a local show jumper guy, and he wanted me to jump his ponies. And so I did that, thoroughly enjoyed that, enjoyed the jumper ponies, and then we started to fox hunt them so, a little bit out of season, and... I noticed some race horses at the back of the back, some point-to-point <laughs> horses and cool-looking jockeys at the back of the field that I would be, I would be stationed with because children and ponies were not invited to ride at the front of the field in England, at least <laughs> when I was growing up back in the day. And um, so it kind of looked cool. So I, I kind of followed these horses around the point-to-point circuit and on television because most of it's most of the steeplechasing is broadcasted on television. It's it's very available in England, and um, that became my my passion immediately wow. and i couldn't wait i couldn't wait to ride r- racehorses and <laughs> until i started riding them and then i wish i had wish i had my ponies back <laughs> <laughs> whereabouts was this in england so in hertfordshire which is just north of london and south of cambridge okay so we we, we hunted with uh Buckridge and thurlow hounds the cambridgeshire harriers we would qualify 
horses that didn't behave very well in the in the with the bigger hunts we could get a qualifier and certificate from the Cambridgeshire Harriers with um, Mrs. Gingell and um, our better horses would would hunt with the Grafton and we would hunt three days a fortnight with with the Grafton hounds wow, and that cool. was that was some nice country yeah yeah, I'll bet. yeah. And the first exposure with some racehorses was with English point-to-pointers and things. It was with the point-to-pointers, yes. I I remember as as a kid standing outside the paddock just longing, looking over the chestnut fencing, longing to be on the other side just to lead up a horse in the the paddock. And, you know, my dream came true a couple of years later. I was leading up. You know, other people's point-to-point horses. Little, little to be known that it was um, it was slave labor. But I was, I was thoroughly enjoy, <laughs> enjoying being on that side of the paddock. And um, and who who did you work for there? So just some local trainers. Sure. So it was really just a small group of point-to-point horses. And then I started to work for Jill Duffield, who was married at the time to George Duffield, who was a prominent prominent flat jockey. And they had a stable in Newmarket, and I became her assistant. And rode out exercised we had flat horses we had steeplechase horses and she also trained some arab flat racing wow. horses that, that that would she would take to dubai and import from russia and they were owned by the arabs i mean some they were wild to ride but um <laughs> but the most exciting part was when george duffield would, would hack out with us and you know he was just such a prominent flat jockey that it was a thrill to ride with him yeah in the mornings yeah yeah, yeah. and did you ride races over there a little. A little. <laughs> a, a bit. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I had a couple of winners. I had a few winners. I had a great guy called Philip Newton, who is a mem- member of the Jockey Club now in England. And he was a, a big fan of mine or a big supporter of mine. He would put me on some of his hun- hunter chases. And, and I worked worked for him and his father-in-law, Joe Ward Hill, who's a brother to William Hill. They had a, a stud farm and they would breed commercial yearlings. But they also had steeplechase horses with Nick Gaisley. And then the point after they'd retired from being open jump horses, on, on the big tracks they would come come back to the farm mrs newton and i would hunt them and then i got the opportunity to ride them in, in a few of the races oh, yeah. um, it's so diverse over there like that part you could have you know where one one farm has arabians flat horses point to pointers yearlings yeah. you know, it's great you learn right. you learn a lot you do you learn a lot you work hard to keep you know keep your head down and get recognized and yeah. it was for me it wasn't work it was just a passion it's just a huge huge passion and I've been fortunate in my time to have made a career of what I thoroughly enjoy yeah yeah which is um, it's hard work it's hard work and we're on the road and, and there's some sweat and it's it's not all standing in the winner's circle at the gold cup having your photograph taken there's you know on January mornings when it's frozen solid and you can hardly get to work it's it's, there's a lot of effort goes into it too, yeah. but we reap the benefits and it's very rewarding. It's it's thrilling. I I just I love watching my horses run. I love watching them perform well. And obviously, you know, it's it's thrilling when they win. Thrilling for me for the owners when they win and satisfying. I find it very satisfying. Yeah, when it all comes together for sure. So how and um, how did you end up coming to America and and when would that have been? When I graduated from a small agricultural college, I went to the National Stud for a season as a as a trainee, and then I went and worked for Philip Newton at Ward Hill Farm, and he sent me to Mill Ridge Farm for a year in, I think it was 1983. I went 83 or 84, and I went for a, a year, and it was based there at Mill Ridge Farm, Dr. John and Alice Chandler's Mill Ridge Farm, yeah. which was a, a big outfit for me, and um, and still are, and they were producing a lot of yearlings, so I did the sales. Um, I arrived in January, worked all the, we did the brood, breeding season, foaling season, breeding season, prepped yearlings for July, September, 
um, October, and then I went back to him, and that was my first experience. And I was, I was 21 then. I had a big time. It was a college town, and <laughs> I, I thought I was, I thought I had wings <laughs> <laughs> until I got home and stepped on the scales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so that on. was that was my first experience. First try, and then, okay. And, and then um, when I was 24, I came back. A friend of mine had was working over here. He'd been to the Olympics with Bruce Davidson, and I said, "I want to come back for the states. I'm going to take I'm going to take the summer off, and I'd like to work with a, with a three day event person." And so he, he hooked me up with Torrance Watkins, who had just I think won a team gold at the LA Olympics, and uh, so I worked there for for a summer about four months in the summer and that brought me to Middleburg Virginia and once I was here for a couple of weeks I couldn't believe how fantastic it was and just lend itself to anybody that wanted to work with horses it was like God's country <laughs> yes yeah, um, so yeah just really, a variety really, uh, yeah you could do anything there we could do anything and and um I just remember riding out for hours and never getting on the blacktop road and in England you know we're trotting down the roads we're doing a lot of our a lot of our leg work on on the on the roads which might be good but I think basically we lent ourselves towards trotting on the roads because we were a little bit short of country and yeah. places to tear up and whereas here you know as long as we're respectful we're often invited to ride other other people's farms and land and it's it's just so vast so that was really drew me to Middleburg, Virginia, and I came back the following year. So I went home, sold my house, decided that, that was it. Came here with a couple of bags and put some roots down, and <laughs> this this is home. I've been now. here ever been here ever since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after being here for a couple of years, about eighteen months, I I kind of realized that maybe three day venting wasn't going to keep the lights on all year round. And I probably needed to change change my program, even though it was a lot of fun. So I applied for a job with at Kinross Farm with Zohar and Lisa Ben Dove, and I think that was in 1992, 93. And I and I worked for them as a private private trainer, super trace trainer, um, and kept him fox hunting for 25 years. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't seem possible, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and was... got you know exposed to some or helped them get some pretty nice horses too. I mean, you could just—I went back and looked a little. You just saw the stable quality improve almost every year there for a while. Yes, yeah. Then at the top of the pyramid there, we had Sulatet, who was a leading novice horse and a very competitive open stake horse. But miles ahead, he was a leading timber horse. He was multiple gold cup winner. We had Gold Mitten, who was leading three-year-old filly and mare. A horse called Segregation Lane that they bred, and they bred Gold Mitten. Segregation Lane, who was leading three-year-old, we felt like we couldn't do anything wrong there for a while. Um, <laughs> That's the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was really, really exciting, thrilling. Yeah, and got got a lot of travel miles in. People will remember Sir Latet for sure, and he, he was—I mean, he was never a champion, but he was as good as anybody in at that time, and was kind of knocking heads with McDynamo and Hiropor and some very talented horses. Yeah, it was unfortunate for him, or fortunate for the sport, that we had three very good quality horses, McDynamo, Hiropor, and Solitaire, all banging heads. You knew that each horse was going to be entered, entered in the same grade one race. And at any stage, any of those three horses could win that race, apart from Far Hills, where it was going to be Dynaformis <laughs> race, and, and McDynamo's race, and we would probably chase him around. But, um, but going to Keeneland, we would win there. Hirapur could win at Keeneland. Going to Belmont, we won there. Iroquois, we won the the the, the big race of the Iroquois twice. 
and my second in it in my third year. Yeah, as um, fans, we were pretty spoiled. I mean, you could just, do, yeah. you know, week to week, you're like, all right, they get to run again, you know, where yeah. uh, then we go through years where you've either got one dominant horse or you can't quite tell who the best ones are. But uh, right. he was right. he was pretty special. What what? And I talked to you back then, but what made him good? What what was what was his asset? Well, I think he had tremendous, tremendous wind recoveries. He had a lot of stamina and um, he had also had a nice pedigree, but he had really bad attitude towards training and um, we would have to be very creative with with getting him to the races with a sound mind you know getting him physically fit was easy but getting his mind straight was you know we had to be somewhat creative and um, I remember we were running at the Belmont and we shipped him out a week early to a riding school in Long Island and (laughs) and we took him shipped him to Belmont the horse was claustrophobic he didn't like traveling so we, we shipped him across New York at two o'clock in the morning in the dark. He actually shipped better when it was dark and there were no lights on, which was weird. And um, <laughs> so I arrived. He didn't like a stall. He was a stall walker. And I stood outside Jim Toner's barn from about four o'clock in the morning until race time. And we went from eating grass outside Jim Toner's barn under the oak tree. I ran out of battery on my phone you know, very quickly. And um, we put his rundowns on, his hind rundowns on, his bridle on him. And off we went to, through the tunnel to the to the Belmont paddock. He didn't actually go go to a stall. It was, but he needed that. You know, he need, just needed that somebody who was small enough of a trainer like myself that he could think you know laterally of, about what his needs were. Yeah, I think in a in a big program he would have got lost. Right. Right. No, um, and that probably has allowed him to then be as good as he was because he would have. Yeah. He, there's no way they run as well as they can if they're wasting all their time stall walking or getting nervous. Right. Yeah. Right. No, and that's the mental side of it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's, uh, they're, they're probably equal, the fitness and then the mental side of the horse, which is you, you got to be, you got to be both. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a saying that I, and I tell my riders, you know, often it's like, we need to train their minds, not their heads. <laughs> <laughs> not, not their legs. Right. We need to train their minds, not their, their legs. Their minds, not their legs. I like it. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was a really good innings. He was um, a very special horse. So. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. For sure. I once in a lifetime horse. You know, we were kind of blessed to have him, and we appreciated that. Yeah. You know, it was a great, great ride. Um, I'd love to have another one. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's <laughs> twice in a lifetime, right? Come on. <laughs> that would be nice, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, the, the success by Zanclus this year in the Virginia Gold Cup. You've won the Virginia Gold Cup four times, if I'm doing my yes. math right. Lord Kenneth, miles ahead twice, and then Zanclus this year. It's certainly a race people know. I mean, it's a four-mile timber race. It gets a big crowd, gets a lot of attention. What's what's it like to win that race is probably the first question. Well, it's for me, it's really peculiar. You know, as trainers, we long to win that race. As steeplechase trainers, we long to win that race. So I thought that I was going to do triple back somersaults. If we ever won it, I thought I was going to do triple back <laughs> somersaults off, off of the viewing tower. I was like, I, I, it was like I have, had a splint on. I was like numb. <laughs> I walked down, walked onto the race course, had you know, starry eyes, and was couldn't communicate. It was weird. It was like, a, I think I was just mesmerized. And then also, Joe, I remember you telling me one time at Keenan, it's like, come on, Neil, smile, talk. You don't do this every week. You don't win these races every week. I said, no, I need to pop out of this. I was just so thrilled and just content, just content, so satisfied that I couldn't really didn't demonstrate it that much now i do i'm, I'm a little better at that now yeah <laughs> but but it's equally as thrilling i mean watching zanklas run the race that he ran it was a very competitive race i thought it was a very 
nicely run race also. With him, we had to stretch him out another mile. He's he's very loose in a race. He's a very open galloping horse. He just has a high cruising speed. And to hold him off of that cruising speed for a little bit gets agitates him. We do, you know, we know that we, we can see that in the race, but we really had to hold him back from from being able to run for quite a while in that race so that he could get the four miles. And he does get the four miles. We figured he would get the four miles. We just had to help him get it. Yeah. And you kind of don't know until they do it. I mean, it's right. they don't get many chances to run four miles, really. So Right. Not not at all. And, yeah. and it's not something you really want to practice in the point points. No, he, he, he ran three weeks earlier at my Lady's manor, which is a very I think I think is a very quick three mile track and and he cut, he's a big horse he's a little over 17 hands he's a big horse he cuts the beacons he <laughs> flies his fences and and he won that race by 20 something lengths and set a new track record yeah. and to go to go from that i think is very diversified for a timber horse to be able to go from the man at winning the manor so well to then at a totally different track at a different distance at like the gold cup which was our goal the whole time the reason we didn't go to middleburg to the middleburg hunt cup at glenwood park two weeks before is i just needed a little more time i just felt like he does better having a few more weeks between races so that's where we went to the manor yeah he's actually fairly i mean not new but i mean he's kind of an immature timber horse he's still building his resume if you want to put it it's that way right. you know Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He's, he's he's a second season timber horse. Yeah, you know, in their seasons are not long. They don't get to run many times. So right. A point, basically, for my horses is a point to point, and then two two sanction races. That's what it seems to be per season. Yeah, and he's a uh, homebred for Sarah Collette, which had yes. to be a little satisfying for you too to have them uh, to get them up there on the winners podium again. Right. Well, it was so satisfying to watch them. They were just so thrilled, and you know, they couldn't believe it. I mean, they love this horse. They they trust have trusted me with this horse. Have listened to me with him, and it was thrilling to see, just to see that all all of their efforts and their breeding program come together and have such a unique athlete and great. You know, I think he could end up being a really nice, really good racehorse for them. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and they of course bred uh, Salmo, who won two Virginia Gold Cups, and now this horse. And they kind of, that's well, maybe they don't say it right at the beginning that we're trying to breed Virginia Gold Cup winners, but that's the type of horse they produce. So to have it then happen has got to be very rewarding, you know. Right. So we've learned that the Colette horses, the Pageland Farm horses, get better with each birthday. They just take time. So this horse is eight eight years old, which is an older horse in this country. And in England, as a chase horse, he would not be an older horse. Yeah. You know, he was running over timber as a six-year-old. I think that's young for for this horse. He missed his seven-year-old year, had a little injury, gave him the time off. But he ran as a six-year-old and then as an eight-year-old over timber hopefully he's still got a lot of miles ahead of him so you know fingers crossed yeah and their farm is in uh, casanova and how many mares do they have or how big of an operation is it casanova so they i think they have too many mares <laughs> i don't think there's a lot of mares but i know they only breed them every other year so okay that they don't they don't have a, a you know they're not flooded out with with foals they were using their own stallion that they had bred and raced his name is Zenit, is was Zenit. He passed away within the last year. Oh, and wow. Zenidon, he wasn't very accomplished himself, but he's by Northern Baby out of a mare called Melantha. Um, uh, um, Kalenko. Kalenko, yeah. yeah. who, sec- who was second to Morley Street at Fairhill in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, I think she was a French bred mare that Tom Pratt trained. 
and they bought her as a broodmare from the Fairhill sales. Fairhill used to have a steeplechase sales. They bought her as a broodmare. So there's plenty. So from a steeplechase side, that pedigree side, it's there. From a you know, it's not necessarily, again, it's not necessarily what anybody is. Not that many people are trying to do that, but he's these horses are are bred to do that basically. Right, yeah. they're purpose purposely bred to go long on the grass and be yeah. immature. <laughs> All you got to have is a little patience. <laughs> you got and and you, and you know I think it's even harder for when the homebreds because as four year olds have already been around a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You've been looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still years away. Yes. Okay, Neil. We're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor, Brown Advisory. From Tennessee to Maryland and Ascot to Cheltenham, Brown Advisory supports the hard work, dedication, and love for competition that defines the horse racing spirit. Brown Advisory has cheered from stables and fence lines since its founding in 1993 and is excited to share this passion through the sponsorship of this podcast and races across the U.S. and U.K. Visit brownadvisory.com to see how they can help you achieve your financial goals. And we're back with Neil Morris on Jumping Around. What's Zanklus like? You mentioned Sir Latet kind of being a little bit of a head case. Is, is Zanklus, what, what's he like to work around and, and what's his personality like? Zanklus, he's, he's very, very generous with his work. He's very forward going. He's not keen at all. I hunt him all the time. One thing that he doesn't do, he doesn't ever stand still out hunting. So <laughs> I'm always kind of wiggling around, figure eighting with him. But he's pretty. He's a pretty okay fox hunter. He's, he, he, and that really has been what's made him, I think, just spending those winters, those boring hours out there hunting you know you get to the third and fourth hour <laughs> and i think that's what's really made this horse otherwise he could have been a little bit silly and maybe not as classy a race as, as he does it also got a lot of strength within his body and his frame so he is um at the races he will rest as long as he's left alone when you start fiddling with him it's like showtime so we just leave him we just leave him alone until we need him <laughs> about 30 minutes out of the race yeah, yeah. and then he gets in in the paddock he doesn't walk around flat-footed he's kind of digging he kind of hitting the ground a little bit with his back toes a little short right. um or, you know just a little keen he gets a little curled up in your hand and always gets a little a little sweat on his neck never does anything silly though and then when the flag drops drops he we never we never ask him to to run to the front he just within five or six or eight strides He's just galloped to the front, you know, and he's just, that's, that's just where his cruising speed is. And I think he's hard to keep up with for a lot of timber Yeah, horses. he certainly looks that way, yeah. 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 And when you look at him through the binoculars, um, he looks like he's cantering. And then you go back five lengths to the rest of the field. Right. And you realize he is not. <laughs> and um, I'm assuming we're coming back for a fall campaign, or that's the idea? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's definitely the plan, yes, yes. What, God, God, God willing, and the creeks don't swell. Exactly. What, what, what will is? What's he doing right now? What's his summer like? Eating grass. Good. He's just <laughs> eating grass, and we, we, you know, now he's valuable, so we bring him in out of the sun, sunshine. <laughs> yeah, this time fly, last year, he stayed out all day. <laughs> right. He, he gets fly spray on him. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that changes. <laughs> yeah, it does change. Yeah, you know, and they move a little closer to the tack room. Yeah, with their stalls. Yep. That's great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they've all got personality, which is fun, you know, to, to, when you get a chance to let it develop, which is great. Right. And um, so another thing is that, that all of the Colette's horses are named after fish. Bruce Colette, he's a PhD from Cornell. He's a dedicated ichthyologist. Um, I think he's named very uh, quite a few species of, of fish. He's a senior staff member at the Smithsonian Institute. 
I think he's written a, a few books. His work was honored in 2014 with the Nelson Lifetime Achievement Award. Wow. So he's a pretty accomplished doctor. And they get to name, they name all of their horses after fish. And, and um, Salmo, you know, obviously was a salmon and they had, you know, have had many of them. And, and Sarah is so cute. She says, you know what, Neil? Those names are always available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody else is coming up with Zanklus. Yeah, no, I like it. I'm gonna have no, to go no, figure no. out what kind of fish Zanklus is next. But <laughs> right, right, right. Well, apparently it's a uh, it's apparently a very pretty a very pretty fish, a beautiful okay. fish. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And you've all we've talked over the years too about you kind of blending the stable with flat and jump, and that seems more important now than ever. Without the Kinross job and sort of trying to be an independent trainer, you've got to right. fill it with both, right? I mean, is that the the idea? Right. So my, you know, I had to come up with a business plan in 2015, and it wasn't to fill my barn up with steeplechase horses because the the numbers for me were not going to work for keeping the lights on. So we we blended some flat horses in, and now we're a little over. Well, we have more flat horses than we do steeplechase. Steeplechasing is my first passion. I love it. It's what it's what we do well. But we need to have flat horses for the business, and and I'm getting to enjoy that more and more. And um, and we've been having a little success this season with that too. So that's that's rewarding. Yeah. No, and I I joked about it at the beginning with a four and a half furlong winner and a four mile winner. Right. But do they train any differently? I mean, obviously they're training sure. at the same place. You got to do it a little sure. different though. So they're training at the same place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah they train a little differently yes yeah. <laughs> uh, could never keep up with a four and a half furlong. Right. <laughs> that's for sure. And you're based at, at Hickory Tree Farm in Middleburg, which obviously has a fair amount of history, which is kind of fun. I mean, right. it, it looks like a beautiful place. I think I was there years and years ago. But um, what's it like to train there? You got a track. You've got two barns, I guess, of yours. Yeah. So it's a historic training facility. I have a I have a twenty eight stall. I have the I have the the main. The main training barn, which overlooks the track, the track is three quarters of a mile track. It was built. They actually used to have races on that track in the forties. Wow! Uh, there, there are some photographs, yeah, of ladies in tweeds and fur standing <laughs> on the rail, cheering their horses on, throwing the binoculars around. So it's for me, it's a great place to to train because it's very diversified. It's in the country. It's half a mile out of Middleburg, so we're not displaced. And I, my house is in Middleburg, so I have no excuses for being late to work. And it's, the farm is about 360 acres, but we have a lot of ride out. So we have a lot of, lot of Virginia Hills and at steeplechase horses and our long distance grass horses are, are doing a lot of work on the hills. But the track is very, very useful because I believe that it's hard to train on a farm without a controlled surface. We have a very nice, forgiving sand track at Hickory Tree with starting gates. It's all, it, the whole thing is set up for training. It's really working out well for us. That's great. And it's still owned by the Trepto family, is that right? It, yeah. uh, yes, it's, okay. it's owned by um, Jim Trepto, yes. Yeah. It was um, Mrs. Um, Alice DuPont Mills. Before, um, yeah. Design, and that designed was, it originally. Yeah, and they had serious, I mean, Devil's Bag and Hagley and Gone West and some serious yeah. resources were there at some points. Topsichorus, yeah. Goritas, yeah. Yeah, Believe It. I did a little look. It goes way back to the Sears family and uh, some other stuff back to the 20s. And uh, there's some fun history, too, that the, uh, right. the, at one point they, they burned the main house to the ground to avoid paying taxes. So, you know, hopefully we don't yes. have to do that again. 
Yes, I believe it was burned down. <laughs> that was before our time, and it seems like an extreme way to do it, but whatever. Right, right. <laughs> that was when it was in the Sears Sears family of Sears and Roebuck. So it's right. pretty pretty neat to see some. And it's great that it's to me that it's got racehorses on it again, which is it's which still, is fun. Yeah, that's, it's that's what it's designed for. Yeah. It really is. It really is. It has a has a stallion barn, two broodmare barns, a yelling colt barn, a yelling filly barn. And the big the big training barn, and then I also overflow into another barn, which is referred to as the polo barn, which oh, I keep yeah. a couple of fox hunters there. and some timber horses, or I have one one horse that is a bit of a stall walker. He doesn't walk the stall down there, just a little quieter environment. So it's nice to have that diversification, and yeah. and also the track and and the country that we have here. Yeah. No, I and mean, also it's I, also I hunt. I'm I'm a master of Orange County hounds, so I'm central for our hunt country too. Wow. Did you ever think you'd end up with that kind of a job, Master of Hounds? No, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. Okay. Yes, yeah. That's no, cool. Yeah, no, it's good. I, and I have, I have a great, great joint masters and especially John Coles and Malcolm Matheson. Yeah, yeah. No, it goes back to your roots, I'm sure, right? It goes back yeah, to the fox yeah. hunting, which yeah. is cool. And I like to, I like to fox hunt, and I'm, I mean, I'm usually fox hunting these timber horses. Anyway, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What um you talked about it a little bit at the beginning. What do you what do you like about your job? If somebody asks you, somebody who has no idea what you do for a living. What do I like about my job? I never have a Monday morning. It's I mean, <laughs> sometimes you know, I have a headache and have a twist in my gut off often, but um I never seem to count the days. I, I know you know, when Friday is up I've got to go to the bank and get payroll done, but but the rest of it, it all just kind of blends blends through. There's nothing more satisfying than developing these athletes, I think it's it's just like developing a probably just like developing any any kind of sports team. That's that's what we're doing. You know, we have a bunch of players that have shirted, a bunch of players that are benched. <laughs> you know, a, a few that we're not going to entertain. Maybe they put them on water boy duty. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think it's I think you know there's a whole cross section and and they all just they all warrant you know being taken care of. Yeah. Um, that's what we do. You know, we 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 caretakers. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your stable's what, at 35, 40 horses now? Do you see it getting bigger? Do you want it, uh, you know, where do you think it's, where do you think it goes? I don't know. You know, I would like to keep it, we're not at 40, so we're at about 35. We keep, we're up to about 35. And I think instead of, I think at this stage, and I'm, I, I might, ch- this may, may change, but I think at this stage, instead of getting bigger, maybe, as we grow, we can take off the bottom and add to the top as sure. far as quali- quality is concerned. I think that that would be where we would go. Take off some of the horses that are a little less performing and try and always buy to add to the top, which is hard to do. Oh, yeah. Or, or develop horses to add to the top. But that's that would be the goal. But running horses on the flat, there's, there's a race for all of them. Right. Running horses, lesser horses, steeplechasing it's it's a little tougher to find spots for the lesser horses. Yeah, just opportunities the hard part within the steeplechase game and I say it all the time and can't say it enough is that that we just need more. We need more races, you know, like they we need more race meets, we need more opportunity for horses to run, which will then fuel some of this as far as either some more horses coming in or more opportunities for the horses we have. Right, we've just got to work out how. Yeah, oh how, yeah, I didn't say it's easy. How to get the plan <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> we need sol- solutions, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, and, and now you're, you're setting it up there. Say, uh, put on a different hat. You're not a trainer anymore. You're in charge of American steeplechasing. W- what do you do to help the game? I think we have to pull in on some of the, make our sport a betting sport. And um, 
pull on, on some of the betting income. Yeah. Um, how we do that, I, I'm not sure. The French have a great product. Um, maybe that could be looked into. I'm sure it has been looked into. You know, we have, we're have we so historic that we maybe we're a little old-fashioned. Relying on hunt meets to raise money and banging on the doors that they always bang on, looking for purse money, it's it's a hard way, hard way to keep these race meets going I, I i can only believe i've never run a race meet so i don't know so maybe we can pull it on, on some of the betting money and I, I was thinking you know i have a 14 year old child and, and if he was betting on a horse which he did sometimes if he comes to the flat track with me he's not horsey at all but if he comes <laughs> to the flat track with me with his buddies and we'll have a buffet dinner and then i'll go to the paddock to attack up my horse and i'll buy them a couple of tickets in that race they'll choose the horse they get excited and you know, they, they get motivated and excited and they're cheering on the horse and, you know, working out what sort of money that they've won. And mo- usually, they usually lose, but at least they're putting <laughs> money money back into the sport and getting more interested. Yeah. I mean, whereas, I, I, whereas I couldn't spark an interest in him coming to the races without a buddy and without kind of without having that excitement. Yeah, sure. Because And it's not, if you don't, if you're an everyday person and you don't ride or you're not exposed to it, it is a tricky thing to sort of get behind where another sport isn't, you know, I mean, everybody's right. shot a basketball or thrown a baseball or whatever. They can understand that. This is a little different. They can relate, can relate to that. Yeah. 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 And, and they're exposed to it more, you know, through media. Sure. Sure. The other sports. Yeah. Yeah. In England, we're exposed, we're exposed to racing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. My, my mother who doesn't follow racing would know who won the Cheltenham Gold Cup. And who the leading novice was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's on television, also, right? Or in the paper. Right, yeah, yeah, right. It's, yeah. It's, it's televised. She would yeah. also know who the leading Formula One driver is. Right. Too. Yeah. Yeah. In America, we don't know any of those things. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think we have great support. I think we have a great, great crowd that um, are into steeplechasing. And um, I, I think we've just got to keep keep the next generation interested or get them interested whether it's through partnerships syndicates pieces of horses betting on horses creating some income there yeah anything to kind of open the open the doors a little bit i think that's crucial crucial and um uh when you're not chasing horses around what do you do i know there was a running career for a little while are we still running out there on the (laughs) trails that wasn't a running career (laughs) (laughs) i am i i do i I do. I kind of try and take an hour out of my day, usually in the afternoon before I do school pickup, um, go for a run or go for a cycle, go to the gym, go, you know, just work out, do, do some, some, some form of exercise. I just find it therapeutic. I, I can kind of collect myself. It's something that I only do by myself. I never run in with a group unless I'm running in a, in a 10K race or something. But, but I just find it therapeutic for myself to just unsatisfying again and yeah. it makes sense that that's something that we need to do oh yeah um, no, it's very head clearing i'm the same way i I, it's, I get on the trails in fair hill and it's it's what you do you know just go get away from it for an hour you know i, yeah. I usually have a dog with me but other than that it's me you know yeah and, uh, yeah yeah uh, i've somehow been talked into running in a 10k trail race to uh benefit jake chalfin's charity good. here in a couple of weeks yeah. so i'm not i'm not sure i need some more training i'm not quite there but we'll see <laughs> that's, that's good but, but you know having a, having a race you to, to aim at you have a goal you'll amp you ramp your game up a little bit you get a little more focused and it, the training becomes a little more deliberate yeah definitely definitely and um one more thing before we let you go what do you got you got some summer horses to run mutasawi was impressive at fair hill i hope he gets to come back here Yes, yeah, so Mujisawi, yes, he got his himself together for for Fair Hill. We always thought he was a nice horse, and and showed that last year. Um, had, had a little misfortune, and um, this year he didn't. He thought he thought um the Queen's Cup was soft, and then 
Then he fell. He was a little stretched out at, at Iroquois and fell in the novice race there. And then we ran him back at Fairhill in the in the um, the ratings handicap. And um, and and he looked like he was back to to very good form. So he will be heading to the novice stakes at Saratoga. Maybe a couple for the for the handicap race at Monmouth. But really, that that's probably it for our our summer steeplechasing. We have a few maidens that have not started that that'll be starting in the fall, so they're always exciting. Usually, less timber horses in the fall, but hopefully, some newcomers to start up in this fall. You know, that'll be starting in the fall. The fall season is is always short. But going back to your original question, we're a little bit light for the summer as far as jump racing is concerned. Yeah. Um, no, I think everybody maybe, lightens maybe, up. Maybe so. that'll yeah. change as, as as hopefully the stable grows. Yeah, but yeah. I really don't think it's it's not worth going to Saratoga unless your your guns are really loaded. Yeah, yeah. No, you better be ready to go there. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's too it, it it can it can derail your fall season if something goes wrong. The yes. the the training's a little trickier in the summer. It's a long way to go anyway, and everybody else has their best horses. So it's a, it's right. a, it's a if you're not, if you're not if you're not confident, you probably should stay home. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Cool. And uh, and obviously we'll see you at uh, Laurel and Mountaineer and wherever yes. else grass races are, Delaware, and uh, hopefully people keep an eye out. So because the horses are running really well, so hopefully well, thanks, it keeps Joe. going. Yes. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you, Joe. All right. We'll see you at the okay. races. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another edition of Jumping Around. Jumping Around is a production of ThisIsHorseRacing.com, home of original content about thoroughbred racing from the steeplechase circuit, Saratoga, Fairhill, and beyond. You can subscribe to our products via the podcast app on your phone or tablet by searching This Is Horse Racing. This edition was recorded and produced at Howling Wolf Recording Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. Special thanks to our sponsors, Brown Advisory and the Maryland Horse Industry Board. 